here we are. Um, those of you who don't know me, I'm Steph. I help to lead the church here, and um, we're going to dive straight in to the book in the Bible called 1 Corinthians. So if you do have a Bible with you, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're not familiar with the Bible, um, maybe you're not used to church, kind of Christian stuff, um, the book of 1 Corinthians is kind of near the end. And uh, if you get lost, shout out where you are, and I'll give you directions. Um, I'll tell you go forwards or backwards. <laughs> and we're going to go to chapter 9, which is the big, big number, big number 9. And we're going to... Um, we're going to be reading from verse 24 in just a moment. Just a short passage today, the last bit of chapter 9. Um, I'm going to give you some background first of all. Um, the city of Corinth was pretty messy in these days um, when, when Paul was writing to them. Nowadays it's nothing but a few pillars grown out of uh, um, uh, grassy mounds. In, in those days it was a very large and metropolitan, a cosmopolitan city. A real centre of trade and commerce and philosophy and... Um, the city of love, in one sense. The temple of the goddess Venus was located there. Lots of uh, sexual uh, immorality going on. Uh, uh, in many ways, very similar to many major cities. A lot of the problems uh, and highs and lows of major cities today. Um, Paul plants a church right in the middle of this, which is all very encouraging for us, who are looking to do the same. Um, but unsurprisingly... It's a messy church. It's a messy church in a messy city. Why? Because the people in this church have really come out of pagan backgrounds where they used to doing all kinds of stuff that really doesn't fit with following Jesus. So that, you know, they used to, their worship would have involved, you know, kind of slaughtering animals and having sex with temple prostitutes and this kind of stuff, stuff that just doesn't really wash too well um, when you're serving and worshiping the living God. And a lot of this stuff had kind of crept into the church. There was a lot of uh, lack of clarity, is this okay, isn't it? I want to just give you a quick recap on some of the things we looked at. So sexual immorality, a big problem in the church. Remember Torsten preached on fit for purpose, looking at chapter 6. And what we find is, is that Paul preaches the gospel to them again. He says, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. And what he does is through the gospel, he raises the bar really high. He doesn't say, you know what, I know you guys are from a kind of tricky background. Let's just kind of find some middle ground. Let's just compromise. What he does is he preaches the gospel, and then out of that he says, come on. Come on, you're not your own. Glorify God with your body. Don't just get by. Glorify God. And then in chapter 7, we looked at marriage and celibacy. Remember that, those two sermons? And really, what does Paul say there? He speaks into lots of confusion. A lot of these guys coming from sexually immoral and uh, broken backgrounds. And they're really saying, you know what? Let's just kind of do away with the whole sexual relationships full stop. Uh, and Paul has to speak into that. And, and he, what he does is he says, look, if you're going to be married, be married well and to the glory of God. If you're going to be single, be single well and to the glory of God. And so again, he comes in with a gospel and he raises the bar. He says, don't just kind of have a mishmash. Don't be married, but kind of wish you were single or be single and wish you were married. Either be married with your whole heart. Give yourself to your spouse. Give yourself sexually. Give yourself physically. Give yourself heart, mind and soul to your spouse. Or be single and enjoy the lack of restrictions that that involves and the lack of being torn between wanting to please your spouse and wanting to please the Lord and just run with all your might after Jesus in a completely devoted way. So he takes the bar again through the gospel and he puts it high. 
Chapter 8, is it okay to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? We're not sure. Some people are saying in the church it's okay because, you know, these idols are nothing anyway. Others are saying, no, it just reminds me of kind of where I've come from. What does Paul do? He preaches the gospel and then he says, now look, do it well. What does that look like? Here's what it looks like. If your conscience allows you to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols, no problem. Because we know that idols aren't true at all. There's only one God. But if it causes your brother or sister to stumble, if it gives them a problem... The law of love is the highest love. Don't eat that meat. Remember that point Matt made on everyone else. Think about everyone else. So he, through the gospel, takes the bar really high. Last week we looked at chapter 9, where Paul said, I will be all things to all men. If I'm going to reach Jews, I'm going to live like a Jew. If I'm going to reach Romans, I'm going to live like a Roman. I'm not going to be caught in my own culture and background. I will do all things for the sake of winning some with the gospel. He, he, out of the gospel, he takes the bar very high. And then really he sums that whole of that teaching up in this passage here. Verse 24 of chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Just to explain that in those days when the athletes would win, instead of getting a medal around their neck, they would get a wreath on their head. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beat in the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. The literal Greek there is this, I pummel my body and make it a slave. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is an incredible passage. A remarkable passage in that it's very, very easy to understand and very, very demanding to apply. There's no little tricky bits in here that we're going to say, I'm not quite sure what he means there. You know, sometimes we say, well, this is a tricky one. I'm not... No, it's very clear what he means. Um, it's just doing it that's tough. And I wanted to help us with this today. I'm speaking to you as a fellow brother in the Lord, not as someone who's got everything sewn up. I, I would say I've been living with this passage for about a year in a kind of a very meaningful way, and I feel like I've made some ground. Okay, Just being honest with you there. So thank God for the ground that I've made, but I'm very aware of the ground that I haven't. This is incredibly hard to apply consistently. You can apply it very easily in bursts. You get a burst of inspiration. You all know those moments? Oh, yeah! You know, yes! You know, three days later, it's like, oh, you know. So, but to apply consistently, it's an interesting one. So we're going to work on this one together. So we're going to go for four Fs today to help this kind of, help it stick in your head and be memorable. The first one is called fighting for ambition. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run that you may obtain it. So he's taking the Christian life and he's looking at it as an image of a race to be run. And he's saying, run so that you might win. If you look at any race, there's lots running, but Paul's observation is this. Do you know what? I've noticed something. Only one wins. Run like that one. And I want to talk for a little while about this ambition that is often sorely lacking among Christians, but ought not to be. There's a godly ambition that is a very, very good thing. This whole idea of getting by, done enough, I've ticked the boxes, is foreign to New Testament Christianity. You know, this whole kind of mentality that, well, you know, yeah, I prayed a bit and, you know, I haven't done any sins that are too bad, you know, should be okay. It's utterly foreign mentality to New Testament 
Christianity. This whole idea of, well, I've prayed a prayer and now I'm going to heaven. It, what is that? You look at some people, you're working with them, their lives, they, they say they're Christians and they're just all over the place. And you say, are, are you a Christian? Oh yeah, when I was five, I prayed a prayer. Okay, good. It's always good to pray a prayer. Not knocking it. What did Jesus say? You know, a tree bites fruit. And there can be this mentality, well, I prayed a prayer and now it's, it's salted. And it's like, that, that's not a biblical understanding of the Christian walk. We sign up to run a race. We sign up to fight a fight. In fact, I would say this, we sign up to win a race. Or we sign up to win a fight. We sign up to win a contest. Okay? And that victory will be thoroughly contested. Your victory in Christ will be contested. It doesn't just drop into your lap. I find it strange that there is such little spiritual ambition among so many Christians. That there's a huge avoidance of risk very often. An avoidance of danger. An avoidance of sacrifice. Where I think all three in some ways are necessary components to a race winning life. And yet there can be an avoidance of these things and just we'll try and get through with sort of damage limitation rather than let's get through and win. So let's get through and try and, try and keep things kind of in check. And it's, it's, not, it's not a right mentality. Many Christians exercise massive ambition in all kinds of areas but hold back in the spiritual. So in business or family life or these things, they, there's huge ambition very often for their children, you know, or for their career or for their plans and hopes and dreams, whatever they might be. But this idea of, of just running this race for the glory of God, for the glory of Christ, is sadly sorely lacking in a corporate sense, especially in the Western church. I can only speak in our context, maybe from a different context. You say, no, where I'm from, we're all running. Okay, well, praise God. But I would say my observations are, is that to develop that corporately, is that there's, you've got a huge fight on your hands. We're called to go for gold. We're called to win. But I want to ask, who against? Who are, we, who are we racing against? Let me just say this. It's not other Christians. You're not thinking, right, I don't know, Claire, she's a bit, she's running a bit fast. <laughs> she's running a bit fast. I'm going to show her a thing or two. I'm going to get up early and pray. <laughs> then we'll know who's in front. It's not like that, okay? That is unhealthy, unhelpful. That is no way to live. That develops a, a really bad competitiveness among believers where we're supposed to rejoice in one another's victories yeah and mourn in one another's uh, hardships not secretly rejoice because I'm probably ahead now because they're having a hard time okay uh, this, you want to see where it goes okay it's not the idea here that is not the concept here by any means we all have a unique race to run Okay? There's a race for you, there's a race for you, there's a race for you. You have a particular race to run that's marked out before us. Okay? The Lord has got a race for you. Now, all of our races are for the glory of Christ, but they've got their own unique elements to them. Okay? So, who are you racing against? I would say this. You are racing against other versions of yourself. I'm racing against the list and layabout. Okay? There is a list and layabout in me. And I'm racing against him. Because if I don't, he's going to win. Okay? Maybe you're running, racing against money-loving mans. They're not here today, so I'll say that. <laughs> I'm making these categories up. Too cool Chloe. She's racing against too cool Chloe. There's a side of her personality that's just too cool. I'm making this up. 
I, just trying, I was trying to think of letters that rhymed, okay? Just to, I'm trying to get this into your head. There are, there are different versions of you that if you do not run for Christ, they will run and it won't be pretty. It won't be all that God has all that God has marked out. It won't be that race, okay? God is calling you to give yourself to run this race to win, and that means being aware of elements of yourself that would challenge Christ-likeness. Elements of yourself. You know, I want to ask you, what are the elements? Is it the list and layer? But, you know, is there that element to you? Is it the love of money? What is it? Is it just that you, you're so willful that you, you just want, you want what you want more than you want, want what God wants? Is it just that you're so anxious that you, know, you never take risks and it's that there's, there's, there's versions of you that you need to race against in order to win, in order to go for gold? They must be beaten. I want to say this, we are called to be the best we can for Jesus. We are called to be the best. Now, at this point, some of you are thinking, but how does this fit in with grace? I thought we taught grace that kind of God just kind of does it and it's kind of all done for us. And now we're saying, I want to be the best I can for Jesus. Doesn't that sound legalistic? How does this work? Here's how it works. Let's take the illustration of, a, of, a, of, a, of an athlete, which we're going to look at in just a moment. But an athlete, you'll often find, is given certain things by God's grace. Like what? Like a certain um, disposition physically. Okay? So someone who's six foot five, is more likely to do well at basketball than someone who's five foot five. Okay? They didn't do anything to get that. It's just a, it's a grace thing. It's the way they are. They're more inclined that way. Someone with bowed legs are not going to do well at running. Okay? But the shape of your legs isn't something you determine. is isn't something you can kind of work on. You're born, you're born the shape you are in a, in, a, in a rough kind of sense. There's just a grace thing there. Temperament. It's just a grace thing. Some people are... I I, I tell you, you can learn to be industrious. Some people are more naturally industrious. I've seen it. Since having kids, you realise there's a lot to nature. There's a lot to nurture as well, but it's a lot to nature. Some of your kids are just more prone. Some kids naturally love a challenge. Others back away. It's weird. It's funny, interesting. There's these things that are just given. Also, a uh, supportive background. You find people like Andy Murray, athletes like this. There's this family around them that have done all they can to help nurture. They, uh, they've got the resources and the desire to nurture what they've seen in him. Okay? But Andy did nothing to get there. It's just a grace thing. Okay? And yet, look at these athletes. They do all they can to, to, what? to add to what's been given them by grace. Okay? They add to the, in, how they hone what they've got. They perfect what they've got. They practice. They add what has been given to them by grace. And it doesn't undermine grace. It simply enhances and brings out what's been given to them by grace. In exactly the same way, we are called to add to ourselves what God has given us by his grace that we might win the race. Let me demonstrate this from a, a scripture um, uh, quickly, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 8. It's a very interesting scripture because it's quite unusual. He says this, God's divine power has granted to us all things okay, that pertain to life and godliness to the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Just grace, right? God's called you. He's given you all you need for, for life and godliness by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises. More grace, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Grace, 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 grace. But listen, for this very reason, what reason? Grace, God's grace, God's mercy. Make every effort, say every effort. Every effort. To supplement or to add to your faith virtue. 
and in virtue add knowledge. Knowledge, self-control, self-control, steadfastness, steadfastness, godliness, godliness, brotherly affection, brotherly affection, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Add, God has graced you with salvation. God has graced you. He's opened the eyes of your heart. You've seen Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. He's granted you repentance. You've turned away from your sin. You've come to him. He's granted you a new heart. Taken out your heart of stone. Put in a heart of flesh. You're a walking miracle. You are the product of the grace, favour and mercy of God. Amen? Amen? Now what? Add to it. Make every effort. Add to it. These things are not in contradiction to one another. This is biblical. This is how it works. You're aware of all that God has done. And now God in his mercy is giving you these wonderful instructions. Add, add, add to these things. Add them, hone them, practice, get the skills, make it sharp. We don't hear much about this, but I think we should hear a lot more about it. Paul looks at athletes and he says this, verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Paula Radcliffe, world record marathon runner. Did you know she's asthmatic? You know that? Asthmatic. There's a girl who's made some sacrifices. Did you hear about the time when she, um, in the middle of a race, stopped on the roadside to relieve herself? Why? Because she wanted to win. And it was taking too long to find a toilet. Now, before you think, well, what's this got to do with anything, everything, Paul uses athletes as an illustration of the kind of ambition that should be in the hearts of Christians. Eight months after having her baby, she was running again. When she was pregnant, she was running 14 miles a day. You think, Paula, you're going crazy. But I want to win. I want to win. See, it's not about, it's not about just being part of the race. It's about winning. Michael Phelps eats six times the amount of the average male. Some of you are going, I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> Trains for six hours a day, six days a week. And if his training day falls on a Christmas day, he'll do, he'll do it as normal. Why? Wants to win. Wants to win. Swims 50 miles a week. In order for his body to recover, he has to take ice baths. Have you ever seen an, had an ice bath or seen an ice bath? Who saw the program when Eddie Izzard did the marathon run? Who saw that? How many marathons in a month was it? Or 40 days? It was something like 30 marathons in 40, 40 days, something like that. If, 43 marathons in how many days? 43 marathons, something like that, in 45 days. Incredible. I mean, you don't see anything like it. It is absolutely incredible. The determination, the pain, the cost, the sacrifice. Paul's saying, should be like that. Christians. Now, here's the thing. You can't just call people to a cost, to a sacrifice, if, you have, if there's not an implanted ambition to win. Okay? You can't say that Eddie Izzard, have an ice bath. No way. <gasps> but I've got to have this ice bath. Why? If I don't, my body won't recover for tomorrow's marathon and I want to do this thing. It's very, very challenging stuff. 
second if, this takes it a step further, fading glory. Paul says, they do this to receive a perishable wreath, us an imperishable wreath. So the reality is this, the shouts of the crowds in the auditorium one day will become silent. They'll become silent, there'll be no more shouts. Paula Radcliffe will be sat in her front room when she's, I don't know, 75 and there'll be no one shouting, go Paula, it's gone, it's finished. It was, but it no longer is. Trophy will rust. Who knows, maybe she'll hand it to a child who then maybe will hand it to their child and then maybe that grandchild will find, come across hard times and will end up taking it to a pawnbroker one day. And she didn't take, couldn't take it with her. Just fades, rusts. Her record will probably be broken at one point. It'll be gone. It was this. She's a world record holder. Yeah, no, at some point she won't be. It was, but it's not anymore. Peaks come, and they go. The body ages and wanes. Not so the race we run. Not so the reward that the Lord has for us. And so Paul says, exercise self-control in all things. Because they do for that fading glory. We for a glory that will never fade. We must apply ourselves 100% in order to obtain it. So what do we do? How does this work out? Well, I've got two more Fs. One is this, focus. Focus, verse 26. I do not run aimlessly. I don't run aimlessly. Imagine, can you imagine someone rocking up at the Olympic Stadium and it's kind of like, you know, they just kind of, the camera's on this person, it's just kind of jogging around. Jogging over by the long jump, a bit faster down and around here. What is this person doing? And the camera follows them for 10 minutes and they have a little sprint. <laughs> Stop it. And they've been doing this for hours. And someone comes and says, a commentator finds this, excuse me. So we notice you've been kind of running around different areas and things have been going on. You got in the way, have a, you got in the way of one of the high jumpers there, didn't you? Yeah, when you were jogging. So, uh, what are you up to, sir? Well, I'm just, I'm here to, uh, I'm here, I'm here to kind of run. Okay, and what, what race are you running? What do you mean? Well, what race are you pop, sir? I had no idea. I had no idea there was a... I just thought, you came here and ran. <laughs> no, so there's specific races. You have to enter and train. No, I had no, I'm really, I had no idea. Can you imagine? This, it'd be in the newspapers, wouldn't it? Crazy athlete. <laughs> Trains for what? He does not know what. It's just weird. But how many believers is kind of like, well, yeah, I'm just kind of part of this thing. There's no focus. There's no sense of us. I'm going for that. I'm going for because you see, if you know what you're going for, you know how to train, don't you? You don't train the same for 100 meters as you do for 10,000 meters. It's different. It's a different discipline involved. There's different things you need to get in place. You look at the sprinters, they're muscle bound. Why? Because it's just that quick blast. It's a different kind of training. You look at the long distance runners, are often built like myself, more slender. There's a different kind of skill needed there. They just got to keep going. And so you see there's different things involved. And if there's no focus to your Christian life, I tell you, you'll just kind of do a bit of this and a bit of that, but there'll be no sense of streamlined ability to get, get to where God's got for you. And I think so often we kind of feel like we've got to be everything and do everything that we kind of get caught in this kind of trying to do that. And we end up being like this person running around the stadium kind of doing this in a bit. Oh, I'll have a quick one now. And it's like, no, who are you in God? What has God gifted you for? What are you good at and what are you useless at? Come on, let's practice, let's train. Where has God graced you? 
What's he put in you? Okay, let's build on that. You, you know, you haven't got to always build and work on your weaknesses. Did you know that? Sometimes you need to just leave him alone and get someone else in. Work on your strengths. It's a team. It's a body. What is your race? You need to know so that you can be focused. For Paul was clear, I want to preach the gospel where no one else has preached it. That's what he was about. Okay? He said that. That's my aim. I'm always looking to move on virgin soil. I want to lay a foundation. I don't want to build on someone else's foundation. That's what God has called me to. Also, we knew God had called him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, which in those days was really radical. And the third thing was suffering. He knew that particularly he would experience more suffering than the average believer. That was his race. Okay? So he focused him for that. That was why when they stoned him almost to death, he was able to, when they left him for dead, he was able to get up and walk back into the same city. With everyone looking on going. What's going on there? He knew what his race was about. Okay? So it came and he wasn't surprised. He was mentally prepared. He knew things like that would happen. He goes straight back in. What, 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 what for you? Now you might say, well, I haven't had a Damascus Road experience like that. I mean, it's all right for Paul. You know, he's sitting there and Ananias comes along and lays hands on him and his scales fall off his eyes and all these miracles are going on. And then God speaks, I haven't had that. Okay, but there are ways and there are means. There are just knowing in God, what stirs my heart? Since I've become a Christian, what are the things that are growing in me? What do I long to do? What would make me feel fully alive in God? What do other people say? Have other people encouraged me in terms of where they see God's grace on me? And you build towards that. And as you build towards that, just doing the general stuff as well of loving the Lord and loving one another and being committed to a local church, God will unfold those specific things. But go with what you've got with focus. So important. Otherwise you're running aimlessly. And Paul says, I do not do that. And then finally, force. Force. I do not box as one beat in the air, but I pummel my body and I make it a slave. Now, I love this because I love boxing, don't I? So I kind of I come alive at this point, but... Boxing is a tough game. I mean, it's a tough, tough game, which is why I was no good at it. But some of the guys that would come in... I remember some of these guys coming in, these sparring partners. They were, one gym I was training at, there was a guy who was, who was basically on his way to becoming a world heavyweight champion. So they brought in these huge Russian kind of monsters that would spar with him. His forearms like this, you know. And I, and I watched them training, and I remember going into the, um, the office where the guys who ran the gym were, and I said, uh, these are tough guys. And they looked at me, and they just went, it's a tough game. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's a tough game. And Paul's using the illustration of boxing here, and he says, I pummel what? My own body. Now, you can understand with passages like this where people get into the kind of Catholic thing at times in terms of, you know, the sort of how this kind of developed. You know, kind of punishing themselves and that sort of thing. What is Paul saying there? Paul is not saying that. In Colossians, he speaks clearly about how harsh treatment of the body is of no value against fleshly indulgence. Okay, So that is not good. What is he saying there? Here's what he is saying. He is saying there are certain desires that he has in him that are not necessarily bad. I would say particularly a sex drive, particularly appetite for food and desire for rest. Okay, None of them bad in and of themselves, but they want to rule. They want to be in charge And Paul says in order to keep them where they should be, you've got to take charge of them. That's basically the message that he's bringing here. That we are not to be ruled by those things, we are to rule them. Yeah? So when I've had enough biscuits, but they're still crying out to me from the the tin, Steph, we love you. 
One more date. You know, I'm like, no biscuits. I love biscuits, okay? No biscuits. Why? Because I've decided. Here's the thing. I've decided. You know what your thing is, okay? Chocolate, who knows? Chocolate cake, can't stand it. I know you, you love it. All right, chocolate cake, all right? You say, actually, I've had enough. I've had enough. And I tell you, if you're not able to say that, then it's, it's a problem. It's actually a problem in your Christian life. It really is. Um, why? Because you're not in charge anymore. Your appetites are in charge. And you can see where that can go. Where, where would that one go? That one would potentially go t- towards just a total lack of self-control. It would go towards uh, potentially obesity and just being totally out of shape for the Lord. Okay? Totally you're not able to do, work effectively for the Lord. Why? Because you're, you're, you're physically a slob. Okay? It's just no, you're not in shape for the Lord. And it, you just let it happen. It's bad. It's bad, don't it? It's bad. You're obviously, it's obvious where it goes with the sex drive. You don't keep that in check. Yeah, it goes into all kinds of crazy stuff. Paul says, no, I beat my body and I make it my slave. What's he saying? I am the master of my bodily appetites for the glory of God because I want to win the race. That's how it goes. That's Christianity. Let's look at David and Bathsheba for a moment before we wrap up. I mean, David, a man of God, King David, King Israel, a man of God, amazing promises from God, amazing victories in God. And then at one point, it was the time when the kings went to war. I mean, well, I don't get these sort of culture. Anyway, it was a time of year where you went to war, okay? So um, David should have been doing that. He wasn't. He was lying on his bed instead. What had happened? He'd lost his appetite for a scrap, okay? And, and, and he just kind of got lazy and complacent. Next thing we know, he's wandering around. Why is he wandering around? Because he's not got hold of himself. He's not, there's no focus in his life, okay? So he's wandering around. And what does he see? He sees a woman taking a bath on uh, one of the rooftops up in view of his kind of palace. Yeah? And, we, you know, the rest of the story, if you don't know the story, he basically, call, she's someone else's wife. He calls her over. They sleep together. She gets pregnant. He then tries to cover it up. Um, it doesn't work, so he gets her husband killed. I mean, it's a disaster zone. But what can you trace it back to? The man's lost all sense of charge over himself. He's just become sloppy, complacent, lazy. And he makes the biggest mistake of his life. It's frightening. It's frightening. It's so easily done. And then Paul says this. He says, you know what? He says, says, uh, why does he do all these things? Lest after preaching to others... I myself should be disqualified. Now, that's, what's, he, what's he referring to there? We could do a whole sermon on this, but I'm not. You want to know? Read the next chapter. Israelites in the wilderness, saved out of Egypt by the grace of God, and then they have no self-control. A lot of their sin is idolatry, but a lot of it's rooted in with food. You find? Oh, you know, you're only giving us manna. Back in Egypt, you had cucumbers, you know. And it's kind of, their stomach's kind of driving the thing. And they fall away from the Lord because of it. Or they get into idolatry and end up sexually immoral. It's the same things. It's these desires of the body. They're not in check. And as a result, they fell in the wilderness. and never got into the promised land. Paul says, I don't, want to, I, don't want to, I don't want that to be a parody of what happens with me. I want to come into all that God has promised. I want to be fruitful for the Lord long term. I don't want to start well and finish badly. I want to go all the way with Jesus. Yeah. That's his heart. That's what he's up for. And he's, he, he doesn't take it as a foregone conclusion that he will. He says, no, an important part of that is making sure I keep a charge of myself. Making sure I keep a charge of my bodily desires and appetites. Making sure there is absolute self-control in my life. Is this self-help? That's one danger, isn't it? You have up here thinking, well, great sermon, but it kind of sounds like self-help. No, it's not self-help at all. 
before we was born again, before we knew the Lord, if you're here and you know the Lord, before we knew the Lord, you were a slave to sin. That's who you were. There's nothing you could do about this. So I could preach all I like. Come on, overcome your bodily appetites. It wouldn't have worked. You were a slave to sin. When you're born again and the Spirit of God lives inside of you by the grace of God, there's a fresh power by the Spirit to be able to overcome the flesh. Okay? There's a fresh power that is given by the grace of God. So I can speak to you born again believers and say, come on, by God's grace and the power of his spirit and with your focus on the gospel and Jesus, do this. And it's doable. It's doable. We've got a beautiful model in the one who lives inside of us, Jesus Christ. His focus was what? I must get to Jerusalem. Why? I need to die. Okay? I need to die on a cross. I've got to get there. Do you remember what happened when Peter challenged him on that? No, Lord, surely not. What did he say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You want to talk about focus? Let's talk about focus. That is what it looks like at times. Anything that would challenge what he knew he'd come to do. I must get there. I've got to get to the cross. Why? Because that's why I've come primarily to die for the sins of the world. I've come to bear in my body their sins. I've come to become a curse for them. Why? So they can be blessed. I've got to get there. Peter's challenging it out of compassion, out of affection, out of friendship. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Why? You know, I'm not going to give an inch to my focus being challenged. Is that what you're like? It's that kind of focus the Lord is looking to put in you. And then there's force. You see force in Jesus' life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, where his whole body is crying out, run away. To the extent he's sweating drops of blood. And he keeps himself there physically and says, no, not my will, yours be done. What focus. What force. What a saviour. What a saviour. And he lives inside of us. And we're following him. And just like Paul says to, to the Corinthians, this is how I live, now you live like it. We'll end with Hebrews 12, which sums this up beautifully. Verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such sinners, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. As I exhort and urge you today to exercise self-control in all things and to take charge over your bodily appetites, I'm not just saying, be busy. Athletes sometimes rest really well. Why? So they can win the race when they next run it. It's not about just doing stuff. It's about bringing your whole self before the Lord and saying, one of the ways I'm going to be under your Lordship, Jesus, is by exercising Lordship over myself. And it's, I don't know how often we preach about it. I don't know how often you've even heard of it before. And I don't know, you know, at this point in the room, I don't know what's going on in your heads and in your minds. But I do want to finish by just praying. And uh, maybe for you, you're just aware that, you, you know, kind of, like I say, this is an ongoing challenge. I think all of us could potentially probably stand up and say, yeah, Lord, help me in this. Um, but maybe for some of you, it's actually, you think, actually, this is, this is really radical. This is, I've, you know, this is kind of, I've never really heard that before, unpacked like that, and I really want to today say, Lord, I want to win. I want to win. I want to win. I don't want to just run. 
the race marked out for me. I want to run so as to win, okay? And it's kind of like a bit of a, a, bit of a line in the sand moment. If that is you, you stand and I want to just pray for you. Because I think when, it, when you get those moments, it's important to just do something to say, hey, yeah, God has spoken to my heart and I want to, I want to nail that one. So please stand if that's you. I want to just pray God's blessing over you and God's uh, enabling over you and God's grace on you so that you're able to really uh, come into a, you know, that sense of, yes, I'm running so as to win. It's just, let's just draw near to God together. Thank, thank, thank the Lord, eh, that you, you haven't got to rely on me for knowing the presence of God. But through this new covenant, we all are priests and we all can draw near. And I have no more access than any of you and that we all uh, have our access to God through Jesus. So let's just do that. Let's just draw near in our hearts. And the promise is that as we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. So let's just, just do that. Just be before him on these things that I've spoken about today and... Just even just almost kind of, I describe it, just unfold yourself before him and say, Lord, you know, this, is, this has touched my heart in this area. And in this bit, Lord, I really just, I really want to press on. And just, just, for some of you I know as you're standing, I just feel the Holy Spirit show me. Some of you are really saying the bit about focus. You feel like you're the athlete, a little trot here and a little sprint there, but you've not quite had that focus. And I want to just pray that God would bring wisdom to you guys particularly. Holy Spirit, thank you that we can just be in your presence. Thank you, you are here. I thank you for this inspiring kind of sense of all of us being called to win a race against other versions of ourselves that would want to keep us back. And uh, I want to just thank you for even the way you, Lord, have been touching people's hearts as I've preached today. And now I simply want to just really bless all that you're doing, Holy Spirit, in their hearts anyway. And I want to just, I want to ask, Lord God, for wisdom to be given. Thank you, the promises. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. So let wisdom come now, Lord, I pray. Either in the moment now, or I pray over these next few days, conversations will be had, little revelations would come as to helping people find focus in you. For some of you, it's probably just doing the general stuff. There's just a sense in which you may be waiting almost too much for the specifics rather than just throwing yourself in gen- generally and trusting that as you just serve and love, God will make it clear. Lord, we just pray, give wisdom that's needed. I pray for conversations with other believers over these next few days that really help. I pray as they even approach other believers and say, look, through the sermon, this came up. Can you give me some wisdom? I pray, Lord, for great counsel to be given and understanding to come. I pray it would result, Lord, in many of us being able to run with a freedom and a, and a kind of a spring in our step that we've not up to now, with a focus and with a sense of direction. I pray for those particularly who are under, really feel like I'm under. I'm under my f- the food thing. It's kind of got me. Or the sex thing. It kind of just feels like it's kind of ruling me at the moment or just I'm just sleeping all the time and I've just kind of become a real real sluggard I pray oh God even now for just a, an infilling of the Holy Spirit Lord to be given that would increase ambition in a remarkable way Lord for the fact that you, you are a God who loves to reward you are a God who loves to give us prizes for our efforts, Lord, you've got God who loves to do that. We just want to break that mentality that says that, you know, it's hard to please God. We want to break that mentality that says, wow, you know, you have to kind of be perfect before you can get anything. And we say, no, let me pray for a revelation of the 
a father's heart who loves to give good gifts, who loves to give good gifts. And I pray that what that would do, Lord, that would provoke such running because there would be a fresh faith that, yeah, I can actually win this. And I feel like the Lord, as I'm praying now, says that to some of you, you can win. For some of you, you just actually not believed you can. It's this mentality that almost keeps you from running, which is, well, what's the point? I'm going to lose anyway. We just break that in the name of Jesus. We say, no, that is a lie in Jesus' name. And I want to encourage you, if that's in your mind, to say, actually, I'm not going to believe that anymore. I'm going to believe the truth. I'm going to believe the truth. You know, Jesus makes a beautiful promise in Matthew 6. It's a really beautiful one. You can feed on this. He just says this. He says, look, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love praying in the streets so people can see them. He said, go into your room and shut the door. And, uh, and be in private, because that's where your father is. And your father, who's in secret, you know what? He will reward you openly. I want to just say to you now, on behalf of God, this week, as you go into your room and shut your door, and as you just pray in secret to your father, who is in secret, you know what? He will reward you. He will reward you. There will be rewards. Those rewards will be answered prayer. <laughs> That reward would be that, just that sense of, hey, I'm investing here in my relationship with God. Whoa, the joy that brings. I just speak that over you now, that you will know the reward of God and the prize as you run. Thank you, Jesus.